I want to preach to you as the Lord shall help me about this little book that I find in Revelation 10. And then I think an illustration from the ministry and the life of Elijah is probably fitting to, to try to explain this. In verse number 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This little book was sweet in my mouth and bitter in my belly. Now when we arrive in the book of the Revelation, I think there are some things that you and I should understand. There are four main pinnacles in the book of the Revelation. And then everything else revolves around these four great revelations. And they are the seals, the trumpets, the thunders, and the vials. The book of the Revelation reveals to us the judgment of God poured out on the inhabitants of planet earth during the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of tribulation. So we have seven seals that are unfolded in Revelation 6. We have uh, seven trumpets that sound in Revelation 8 and 9. We have seven thunders, which I find here in chapter 10. Your Bible's open. Look back in verse number 4. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Now these are seven judgments poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth. You and I have no idea what they are because they're sealed up. I speculate it's more of the same, but then that's nothing but speculation. And then the last of the judgments is in the seven vials. So we have these Four main pinnacles in Revelation, the seals, the trumpets, the thunders, and the vials. Leading up from Revelation 1 up through Revelation 5, we build up to the first of the pinnacles. Chapter 7, which falls between the seals and the trumpets, we have a parenthetical chapter, chapter number 7. Then between where we are now, between the trumpets and the thunders, we have another series of parenthetical chapters. Now, I've been reading the Bible for 40 years. I've been preaching 40 years, and I have, until recently, not spent much time preaching out of the parenthetical part of the book of the Revelation because I had difficulty appropriating it in the book of the Revelation. And this occurred to me that, uh, some years ago. The four sets of seven judgments are understandable if you recognize that they're all talking about the same thing. We have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the object and the subject of the four gospels is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see the Lord Jesus Christ in four different aspects. In Matthew, we see him as the king of the Jews. In the book of Mark, we see him as a servant of man. In the gospel of Luke, we find him as the son of man. In the gospel of John, we find him as the son of God. It's all the same Lord seen from four different aspects. If an accident were to take place right here, a car wreck were to take place right here, and the highway patrolman were to ask for a statement, you all would give him a statement about the wreck, and you all would give him 
a statement about the wreck, but your statement would be similar to theirs and theirs would be similar to yours, but it would not be the same because you saw this side of the automobile and they saw that side of the automobile. So they saw things that you couldn't see because you didn't see on the other side of the car. Y'all saw things that they couldn't see because they can't see on the other side of the car. That's why I need a witness over here and I need a witness over here. I need somebody that saw it from the back if somebody's available. I need to get a witness from all four sides. That's exactly what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have the Lord Jesus Christ presented, seen from Matthew's view, Mark's view, Luke's view, and John's view. And so it is in the Revelation. We have the seven seals. They reveal the agony of the great tribulation. We have the seven trumpets. They reveal the agony of the great tribulation. We have the seven thunders. They're sealed up. They reveal the agony of the great tribulation. And the same with the vows. But they make this revelation from four different aspects. In the seals, I'm able to see one part of the judgment of God poured out upon the earth, while from the vows, I'm able to see another part. For instance, whenever we read in the trumpets, we find that a third of the green grass is burned up. One third of the waterways are turned into blood. One third of the sea life dies. When I get to the vows, I find all of it dying. Two thirds, two thirds, and then all of the life in the, in the uh, seas die. Between these pentacles that I find in the Revelation, four mountain peaks, seals, trumpets, thunders, and vows, I have a valley between those chapters which are parentheticals. And they explain what is not revealed in the judgments that are poured out. Now, nowhere we told about the four witnesses in either the trumpets, the thunders, or the vows. But I read about the two witnesses in the passage I have before me, which has led me to my scripture today, Elijah and Moses. I don't read about a a, a little book being sweet in the mouth and bitter in the belly, but I read that in the parentheticals. In the seals, in the fifth seal, I find the souls under the altar. Then later I find an innumerable company of men that are going to be saved in the tribulation period. By the way, that's not a second chance gospel because when the rapture takes place, the age of grace ends and the world goes back under Mosaic law. But there will be an innumerable company of people saved. My grandfather used to preach the greatest hour of evangelism is not behind us. The greatest hour of evangelism is ahead of us when the 144,000 preach the gospel of the kingdom to the inhabitants of the world. And I read about those souls under the altar and they cry out, How long, O Lord? And I scratch my head and I say, Now who is this? Where do these people come from? How do I identify these? Read the next chapter. Read 7. And in chapter 7... John in the parenthetical explains what we just read in chapter number 6 by explaining the 144,000 and then the multitude that saved out of every kindred, tongue, and nation of people. When I began to see the revelation in this light that the parentheticals are a commentary on what I have just read and what I'm about to read and that the book of the Revelation pivots around these four major events, the seals, the trumpets, the thunders, and the vows, I had more light than I had before. And if I hadn't have seen that, I doubt I'd be preaching to you this morning in verse number 8. Now after the trumpets uh, are sounded, look at chapter number 10. We have the seven thunders sealed up. Then in verse number 8, we have the little book. In chapter number 11, this plague lasts for three and a half years by itself. We have the 
prophecy of the two witnesses. Now in Zechariah 4.2, Zechariah says, these are two candlesticks and two olive trees. And they prophesy, and it's my conviction that it's Moses and Elijah. And I wouldn't argue with you about Enoch and Elijah, but I just don't see that Enoch is one of them. The argument is made, well, Enoch and Elijah didn't die. And that is true. But Elijah, though he got out of here the first time without dying, is going to die the second time. He'll die here and his body is going to lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half years. If you have Obamacare, don't, it doesn't matter, you're going to die. You're not getting out of here alive. Even the Lord Jesus Christ didn't get out of the world alive. The Lord Jesus Christ died. Y'all believe that, don't you? If he didn't die, you're not saved. Even Christ died was raised from the dead and Elijah is going to die here and that leaves only Enoch and I can't explain to you why but when we get to heaven you can ask the Lord now talk to me about the man Enoch why did he get out of here without dying I don't have any explanation but we have the revelation of the two witnesses we have the first the second and the third woe we have the trumpet sounding then we have another parenthetical with seven personalities among those, the Antichrist, Satan, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel. And then we go into the last sets of judgment. Now, how am I to understand this little book? Look back at verse number 8 again. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel that standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, and, thy, and, shall, and, and it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Alright, now what's the surrounding context here? The surrounding context is the judgment of God on the world, on the inhabitants of the world, on the Antichrist, the false prophet, the judgment of God on Satan, the deceiver, that liar, that murderer from the beginning. It is in this book that we find Satan being utterly defeated and cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The judgment of God on the adversary of the devil and all those that followed him. Now I stand around and look at the world and I say, Lord, it sure would be good if the judgment of God would fall on unrighteousness. I have a dear friend of mine now who has ALS. If he lives through the end of this year, I'll be surprised. I've known the man since 1978. One of the best men I know. He's a dying man. I mean a dying man. He's my contractor, my general contractor. He's read his Bible through, not a preacher now, general contractor. He's read his Bible from Genesis to Revelation over a hundred times. I'm approaching 60 times reading the Bible through. He's got me beat by 40 times. 
I'll never catch up with it. And I look around and I wonder why is one of the best men I know going to die and the world is filled up with wicked, vile, ungodly dregs and ne'er-do-wells and sinners and unrighteous men. And they'll live and curse and swear and drink and live and curse and swear and drink and be 90 years old and live and curse and swear and drink. And you think they're going to live to be 115 years old and they'll curse and swear and drink the whole time they're alive. And there are people that were sitting in here that have died at 60 and 65 years old. That's young to die. That's young to die. And I wonder why, Lord, pour out the judgment of God on the unrighteous. And here John the Beloved in the Revelation sees the judgment of God poured out on the earth dwellers and poured out on sin and poured out on sinners and poured out on all those that have perpetrated unrighteousness and have perpetrated ungodliness. And he said, when I ate the book, it was sweet in my mouth. It tasted good. I finally see the wrath of God poured out. And I read that phrase at least twice in the Revelation. The wrath of the Lamb. The white, hot rage and judgment of the Lamb. And John stands off to the side and he says, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. They're finally getting it. I saw a car the other day. I was going to preach and they had a bumper sticker and it said, Hillary for jail. I said, I like that. That's better than... Getting behind these cars over here and say, eat local food, free Tibet. No offshore drilling. You know, Hillary for jail. I said, I like that. That was sweet in my mouth. But it was bitter in my belly. Now I think the best example of this is the prophet that we find in the next chapter. One of the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah. I don't have time to preach to you from Moses, but I do want to use Elijah as an illustration of this. We say drain the swamp. I'm in favor of that. I have been involved in Greenville County politics now. For a long time, I've run for office twice. I was on the ballot in November in the district I ran in. There's 44,000 people. I lost by 2,400 votes. Not much. I found out that I had some of my Republican brethren writing letters supporting the liberal Democrat that I ran against. One of them told me that. He said, I hope you're not upset with me at the GOP Christmas banquet. I hope you're not upset with me. But here's what I did. And I bit my tongue. When you argue with a fool, the people observing the argument don't know which one the fool is. I bit my tongue. I was a Christian. If you'd have been there, you'd have said, praise God, Brother Ben, Brother ben acts the same way everywhere he goes. And I say, let's drain the swamp. But the more I find out is down in there, I wonder if I have the stomach to find out what's down there in the bottom of it. It was sweet in my mouth. 
Judgment has finally come. The wrath of God has finally come. And it will come, brother. And I rejoice that when it does come, we won't be here. We'll be with the Lord in heaven. It was sweet in my mouth, but it was bitter in my belly. Bitter in my belly. We get a good candidate to run for an office and Right here in North Carolina, you find good candidates to run on the state level and it's sweet in your mouth. You say, praise the Lord, this is wonderful. We're going to back this man. We'll, we'll get behind him. We'll help him. And then every day, every day, the news media and the Charlotte Observer and the Asheville Daily Liar, they uh, just bludgeon and pummel and argue and criticize and say this person's backed by those Bible thumpers over there in Transylvania County, those radicals, that religious right and they plummel and beat and argue. It's sweet in my mouth but it's bitter in my belly. Now let's turn back and see the example of Elijah the prophet. Look at chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah will be back. These are the days of Elijah. By the way, I saw a video a couple of years ago of a Marine Corps platoon singing that. And I said, boy, that's something. Now that is just something. I don't really know what to think about this. This is something. Those Marines singing, these are the days of Elijah. And I said, you boys might be closer to being right than you realize. If the rapture takes place now, we're only about Three years from Elijah and Moses getting back here. They'll be back at the middle of the tribulation period. Amen now. Look at chapter 17, verse number one. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inheritance of, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Man, I stand off to the side and I say, what about that? Praise God, somebody finally let Ahab have it. Ahab, a wicked, vile king. By the way, Ahab's a Jew. Jews don't go to heaven because they're Jews. They go to heaven because they get saved. George Soros is a Jew. Uh, uh, Vladimir Zelensky in Ukraine is a Jew. Jews have to be born again. Just because a man's a Jew... Uh, he has the Abrahamic covenant, but that doesn't mean he's saved by grace through faith. And Elijah, a Jew, walked up to Ahab, a Jew, and he said, Oh, buddy, God has sent me to talk to you. It won't rain except by my word. There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but by my word. I'm shutting up heaven. I'm putting, I'm locking the heavens. And I know a bunch of Baptist brethren that run around and say, boy, praise God, boy, I wish I had that kind of power. Great day. If I could just do that, you don't want this. You don't want this. I've lived long enough to be glad God made me what I am and nothing more. Amen. Man, if I could just do that, I'd love to walk up to President Biden and say it won't rain for three years, you treasonous reprobate. And everything you've said is true, but I wouldn't want that responsibility. It's sweet in my mouth and bitter in my belly. And I imagine the Jews stood around that had been beaten upon and taken advantage of by wicked Ahab. 
They said, man, this is great. God bless the prophet Elijah. Hallelujah. You let him have it. You go up there and speak for us. You let that man have it. It's sweet in my mouth. Then the Lord said, Elijah, you better get out of here, buddy. And he ran up to the brook at Cherith. Well, it's not raining. Guess what happened? His brook dried up. And it's still not raining. And the Lord said, you go down to Zarephath. And he went down there and met with the widow. And he said, God has sent me down here to live with you. And she said, I don't understand why God has done that. I only have enough meal and oil to make one cake. I was going to make that for my son and me. And then we were going to die, prepare to die in the drought. You see, when it doesn't rain, the crops don't grow. When the crops don't grow, you don't have anything to feed your goats. The weak and the frail began to die. The young began to die. And then the strong became weak. And after a while, the prophet Elijah, people weren't clapping their hands and praising him. When grandmother died and when granddaddy died and when the young baby died, they said, that preacher, that preacher, that preacher, that preacher's why my daddy died. He went down there and shut up heaven. But don't you remember how wicked Ahab was? How Jezebel had Naboth murdered? Don't you understand how you clapped your hands and rejoiced when, uh, when Ahab was told by Elijah, it'll not rain, you jumped up and down and ran up and down the streets and hollered glory? It was sweet in your mouth. But now it's becoming bitter in your belly. You see, your brook started drying up. Your crop started failing. And your baby died. And your grandmother and granddaddy died. And the weak in your flock have already died. And the strong in your herds are getting weak because there's nothing for them to eat. So Elijah meets with Ahab again. He looks and says, Oh, thou that troublest Israel. I bet there are a lot of people that looked at the preacher and said, You troublemaker. You know, when you and I stand and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and declare unto the world there's only one way to heaven. It's by Jesus Christ. If you don't go by the blood and the bodily resurrection, you're not going. That troublemaker down here, he believes there's just one way. That's what I read in the Bible. Paul the Apostle said that God would judge all men by His gospel. His gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're not going to be judged by how much money He gave to the March of Dimes. You're going to be judged by what did you do with Jesus Christ? That troublemaker. Those preachers over on that radio station, they're just narrow-minded. They think there's only one way to heaven. I think that because that's what I read in the book. All thou that troublest Israel... And Elijah said, oh no, I'm not the one troubling Israel. You're the one troubling Israel. And finally, those 400 false prophets met with Elijah the prophet and they said, well, we'll have a contest out here. We'll find out which God answers by fire. And they built up an altar and they prayed and prayed and Elijah stood off to the side and made fun of them and they prayed and cut themselves with lancets and danced and all that stuff they did around the altar. Elijah said, Cry a little louder. Cry a little louder. 
And finally, Elijah said, they, they gave up, and Elijah said, covered up with water. You realize how precious a commodity that was? And he said, do it again. Do it again. And he went out and said, all right, Lord, I'm yours. I need your help. And the fire of God lapped up the sacrifice, the altar, the water, lapped up the whole thing. And then Elijah defeated and put to death those prophets of Baal. And that brings me to chapter 19. And I want us to look at chapter 19 and I'll be done. That book was sweet in my mouth. Judgment has finally come. But it was bitter in my belly. And that's exactly what we find with the prophet Elijah. Now this drought has gone on and gone on and gone on. And Jezebel, after Elijah kills Jezebel's false prophets, paid for preachers. Listen, you and I should not try to be in the majority. I want to be accepted among the brotherhood. No, I want to be right as I rightly divide a King James Bible. The majority was wrong. And Elijah was outnumbered 400 to 1. Now how many of you have the ability and the grace to stand 400 to 1? I wonder if I have that ability. 400 voices speaking against me. And I'm the only one saying what I'm saying. And I have 400 voices speaking against me. And after Elijah kills the these paid for false prophets, he just has a complete breakdown. You can only stand so much. As a man, you can only bear so much. After, and that's a tactic of the adversary. That is a tactic of the devil. And the devil will beat you and beat you and he'll beat you over the head with the same thing, the same thing. He'll beat you over the head with that. And you wake up every morning and you look in the mirror and you see the same thing. And you have to deal with that and deal with that and deal with that and deal with that and deal with that. And that is a tactic of the adversary of the devil. What's it going to take to stop you? And finally, Elijah had all he could take and he ran for his life. Look at verse number 1. Chapter 19, verse number 1. That book was sweet in my mouth. Ahab, it's not going to rain except by my word. I'm shutting the heavens up. But it was bitter in my belly. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, so let the gods, spell that with a little g, do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now there's some interesting things here. Here is Elijah. He is, for three years he's been beaten upon. He's been under the gun. He has been carrying this tremendous burden. He has just Slain 400 prophets of Baal. The man is utterly spent. He is completely depleted. Why didn't Jezebel just go up there herself? At this point, she might could have taken Elijah by herself. But she didn't. She sent a messenger. The threats of the adversary are always greater 
than their real potential to do us harm. Another thing I, I don't understand. This is strange to me. She said, you're a dead man tomorrow. Why would you let a man beaten upon, why would you give him 24 hours to catch his breath and to get some rest? Man, if he's down, I'm going to take him right now. If, he's, if I've got him on the ground, I'm going to get him now. Brother Queen, they never did train you after you get a man on the ground, you back up and let him, let him get back up. Man, while you got him on the ground, go ahead and get him. She said, tomorrow, you realize that we spend much time fretting over things that are never going to happen. You can't live in what ifs. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. if? You can't live there. You must believe, Romans 8, 28, that the grace of God has sovereignly opened doors and closed doors and brought you to where you are and you accept that by faith. God has done this for me rather than saying, well, if I had gone there or if I had done that or if I had gotten in with them or if this had happened. And we ride down the highway at 11 o'clock at night, come in for meetings, and the devil gets in the front seat of the car with you, and you drive for 100 miles, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Tomorrow, tomorrow. Why not today? No, I'll do it tomorrow. And when he saw that, he arose. Now, remember, Elijah, it's not just the contest with the 400 prophets of Baal. We need to back up three years. It began when Elijah said, I'm shutting heaven. Sweet in my mouth. And for three years, Elijah has been on the front page of every newspaper and he has led every uh, newscast on the radio, Elijah the prophet. It's Elijah's fault. It's Elijah's fault. Well, he's flesh just like you and our flesh. And some of you are pretty strong, but at some point, everybody breaks. And the devil's going to do everything he can just to keep pillaging you and plundering you and beating you over the head and clubbing you until you finally say, I just can't go on. I can't take it anymore. And Elijah, look at verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. Ah, oh, Brother Ben, you would never have suicidal thoughts. Elijah did. I'd be better off dead than alive. I got to have some relief. I can't take any more of this. Lord, just let me die down here by myself under this juniper tree. And said, it is enough, O Lord. I can't take any more. It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life. I am not better than my father's. My father's never had to put up with what I'm putting up with. My granddad didn't have to put up with the transgenders. 
My granddad didn't have to put up with the internet. I told my mother yesterday, I've got a couple monkeys on my back I've been trying to get off for years. Just riding me on my back, trying to get, reach around there and get, try to get a hold of that monkey and get him off my back and he'll back up. Every now and then reach around there and bite me. I told my mother yesterday, I said, my age and the generation gap has caught me. I don't like the world I'm living in right now. Because this is not the world I grew up in. And these people are not like the people that I grew up with. They don't think like we, th- we, we thought. Now I'm going to tell you what the problem is. It's that little device you carry around in your hand. That's right. I heard a man the other day, I never thought about this, talking about this artificial intelligence. This man's a born-again believer, a Bible reader, and he'd gotten into some business site. He's a financial planner by, by trade and he said he was in a financial site and the site was controlled by artificial intelligence and algorithms and he said the longer I worked with that the more uncomfortable I felt he said I, I believe the devil that algorithms demon possessed he said I, I felt like a devil's working with that AI <clears throat> and Elon Musk wants to put those chips up there in your brain They'll take the mark of the beast. They'll take it hands down. No, no sweat. They'll take the mark of the beast. He said, it's enough. I can't take it. I'm not as good as my daddy was. I'm not as good as my grandfather was. I can't take any more of this, Lord. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him. And he said, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals. That was an angel food cake, by the way. That's the only kind of cake an angel can cook, right? And a cruise of water at his head, and he had eat and drink and laid him down again. Sometimes you, all you need is some rest. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time. By the way, when this sherathon is over, he wouldn't hurt anything. I'm, I'm not running your life, preacher. I love you, and I've never have tried to run your life. It'd be good for you Disappear for three or four days, get you some rest. Amen. You and your wife go somewhere. Don't tell anybody. Leave your phone here. Amen now. You didn't have that phone on your honeymoon. It didn't get in the way. Leave your phone here and you and your wife go disappear somewhere. Eat and drink. He laid him down again. The angel of the Lord, verse 7, came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey, if we could ever learn this, the journey is too great for thee. That's our problem. I'm trying to bring the judgment of God. I don't like what I'm seeing. I won't do something about this. It'd be sweet in my mouth. Oh, it'd be sweet in my mouth. To see some of our politicians in South Carolina go to jail. I know what they've done. Boy, it'd be sweet in my mouth. The journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. That's where God gave the Ten Commandments and the law to Moses. And he came thither unto the cave and lodged there. That might have been the same cave that Moses was in. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? That's always a good question. What are you doing here? 
Why are you here? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Well, I don't know. It would be good to find out. Why are you here? Now, Elijah's got the same problem we have. He has an F-L-E-S-H. And righteous F-L-E-S-H is just as much flesh as unrighteous flesh is. And we get to eye syndrome. We get eye problems. Eye. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Well, that's a true statement. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. That's right. Thrown down thine altars. That is correct. Slain thy prophets with the sword. That is correct. And I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. I'm the only one standing. I'm the only one doing right. I'm the only one calling out unrighteousness. I'm the only one doing it. And they're not giving me any respect. Well, you need not look for respect from this world. I was up for appointment to the Board of Zoning Appeals in Greenville County. That's a, that's a big, important board, real estate board. And the chairman of our county commission said, uh, we're going to overlook Mr. Carper. We don't need a preacher on this board. What he told me. And a convicted felon opposed me. That hurt my feelings. But then I'm not looking for their applause. I am the only one that is left. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it he wrapped his, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? The second time he's been asked that. And he said the same thing. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou comest, anoint Hazael to be the king, Jehu and Elisha. Now I'll touch on that in just a moment. Let, let me wind this down. That book was sweet in my mouth. Boy, they finally got it in the neck. I mean, they got it right where they deserve it. They deserve the judgment of God, but it was bitter in my belly. And finally, after Elijah had that contest, well, they had three years previous, he winds up in a cave and he has a root of bitterness setting in his soul. And he said, Lord, I'm the only one left. When you get to that position, brother, you're in bad trouble. I'm the only one of the old guard. Listen, the Lord's got thousands of them tucked away up in these hollers, but nobody knows but the Lord. And He's the only one that needs to know. 
Here's Elijah standing there. And look what happens. Verse 11. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. A wind strong enough to break rocks in half. And I imagine Elijah stood there and he said, Praise God, hallelujah, Lord. Give them some of that. Boy, that'll take a fight out of them. Let them have some of that, Lord. Pour it out on them. Just rain down judgment on them. Let that wind blow through their cities and destroy. If it'll break rocks, it'll blow down everything. But the Lord was not in the wind. And I imagine Elijah stood there and scratched his head and said, Lord, I don't understand. And after the wind, an earthquake, and the mountain began to rumble, and the rocks began to break up, and rock slides. And Elijah said, Lord, give them a dose of that. Let them have a dose of that. Boy, that'll take the fight out of them. That'll let them know who's in charge. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And Elijah stood there and looked around and said, Lord, I want to see some judgment. I want to see something happen around here. We need to see some power. And after the earthquake, a fire burned up everything in its path. Just everything is now smoking embers and rubble. And Elijah said, boy, they need a dose of that. Boy, the fire of God, they need a good dose of that. We'll pour it out on them. But the Lord was not in the fire. I imagine Elijah stood there and said, the Lord, I just, I, I'm, I'm confused now. Have some of you men ever been confused? I know God's working, but I don't, I don't have any idea what he's doing. Show me anywhere in the Bible where he said it's his responsibility to tell you what he's doing. But I read over and over in here where the just shall live by faith. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I believe you're doing something good. Amen. Give me grace to hang in here. And after the fire, a still, small voice. That is not what Elijah was expecting, but it's exactly what he needed. I'd like to drop a nuclear bomb on them. And the Lord says, no, we're not going to operate that way. That's, that's not in the plan. I have a plan. See, our problem is, I had a preacher tell me this one time. He said, I know if I'm against it, God's against it. God's against everything I'm against. God's for everything I'm for. That's, that's a pretty elevated opinion of oneself. God is not a man. He doesn't think like a man. And I keep trying to make God like me and the Bible says that I'm to be conformed in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm to be more like Him, not Him more like me. And when this still small voice showed up, Elijah said, God is here. Look at this, verse 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. He had an attitude of repentance. There was no more I, I, I. He stood at the entering of the cave and behold, there came a voice what are, you, what are you doing? He said, I have been. I only. And the Lord said, all right, here's the plan. And some men are just stubborn. Here's the plan. Verse 15. Instead of burning them out with the fire and breaking their bones with an earthquake and destroying them with the wind, here's what I want you to do. 
Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Go up into Syria. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, and those of you who are Bible readers know he was a wild man. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of, she- of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And here is how I'm going to fix this, Elijah. I'm not going to fix it like you want me to fix it. Here's how I'm going to fix this. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. I'm going to pour out judgment on them, but I'm not going to do it the way you want me to. And then he said, and and for this I business, I have been, I have been, I'm the only. In verse 18 he said, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And Elijah did exactly what God told him to do. That little book shall be sweet in thy mouth and bitter in thy belly. And when I think we see that illustrated with the life of the prophet. Elijah. Now may God help us. I believe God is working. He's promised He would. But I can't always judge what He's doing. But I know He doesn't do wrong. So I'll just believe that God is doing right. And trust God to raise up a Jehu somewhere out there to do His work. You and I can't take the judgment of God into our own hands. We're called upon to stand. And having done all stand, we're not called upon to render the judgment of God. God will take care of the judgment. You and I be sure that we are being faithful 